Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And as you get settled in your seat, open up your Bibles. Um, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. So Matthew chapter 5, if you're relatively new to the Bible, uh, you're going to find the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament, which is about two-thirds of your way through your Bible. And if you don't have a hard copy of your Bible, get your device out. You can literally Google Matthew chapter 5. The words will be in front of you. I want, to ha- I want you to have God's words in front of you as we go through this today. And so um, we're in the midst of a summer sermon series focused on the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are found at the very beginning of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And we've been saying throughout the series that these Beatitudes are pronouncements of those who are blessed accompanied by a promise as to why they are blessed. And each Beatitude represents a spirit birthed character trait in followers of Jesus. I want to pause there for a minute because I think it's so important that we get that. So these, the Beatitudes, these are not commandments. It's not thou shalt be merciful, thou shalt mourn, thou shalt be poor in spirit. That would be the wrong interpretation. These are spirit birthed character traits that we would find in followers of Jesus. So rather than being a to-do list, they're more appropriately seen as an assessment of where we are in our walk with Christ. And it's significant that Jesus opens this sermon by describing what a citizen of the kingdom of God looks like. He starts by describing the character of a citizen, and then later in the sermon, he's going to begin to unpack the conduct of a citizen. So it's character and then conduct. And what a great reminder for us as Christians because we are something before we do something. See, we're we're not Christians because we live and act in a certain way. We live and act in a certain way because we are Christians. Being precedes doing, and we see that in the pattern of Jesus' teaching here. Now, we've also emphasized during the series that as we look at these Beatitudes, we can't see them and, and interpret them individually one uh, each by themselves. They don't, they don't work that way. They actually work in harmony with one another, one building success, successively on the next one. They are in a very intentional order as Jesus teaches these. So those who are poor in spirit will naturally mourn over their sin and brokenness. And then that person is, God's able to cultivate in that person a heart of meekness, And so today's beatitude will build naturally on the ones that are before it. And so it's important that we remember that as we get into this. So let's let's look at today's beatitude, and it's found in Matthew 5, verse 7. Let's read it together. Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now today's beatitude represents a, a subtle shift in the nature of these characteristics that we've been talking about. So this one and the ones that follow are are really more of an outward fruit that's been made possible by the root work that we've done up to this point. So to say it another way, as we want to display the fruit in our lives, such as mercy and the ones we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, purity and peacemaking, as we want to display that fruit, uh, we can't just start at mercy. We can't walk out of here today and go, yes, yes, I want to be more merciful, and I'm going to go study about mercy, and, and I'm just going to focus on being more merciful. And that's just not how it works. So as we seek for the Lord to cultivate in us 
the character quality of mercy, we need to progress through the previous Beatitudes. And we're going to unpack that further as we get into the message today. So let me summarize where we're going to go today. We're going to start by looking at what does it mean to be merciful, and I'm going to offer up a definition for that. And then we want to turn to this blessing that's promised to us, that they shall receive mercy. And then finally, we're going to ask the all-important question, how do I cultivate a heart of mercy? And as I was preparing this week and praying and studying, there was really three groups of people that the Lord brought to mind that I've been praying for throughout this week. And I'm guessing that you might fall into one of those three categories. The first group of people are those of you who are, are listening today who aren't Christians. And so there may be a variety of reasons why you're here today. It could be that you just come to church and, and this is just a, a thing that you do and it's a regular part of what you do and you enjoy coming to church, but you've never made that, that confession of faith. You've never surrendered to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. My prayer for you today is that God would awaken in you and show you his mercy in a way that you've maybe never experienced that would lead you to say, I want to ask for God's forgiveness and put my trust in Christ. The second group of you are those over here, here that are Christians. And my prayer this week is that today that you would just feel a sense of conviction and challenge as we unpack this, this characteristic of mercy. And as you, as you analyze and assess your walk with Christ relative to the mercy, the, the, your heart of mercy, that it would cause you to, to look deeper and say, hey, where am I at in my walk with the Lord? And how do I go deeper so that he can further cultivate in me a heart of mercy? And then the third group are, for, are those of you who walked in today who are just carrying a heavy burden. You just feel like you're getting crushed by life right now. And it might be a physical ailment. It might be financial situations. It may be job situations. It may be relational issues. It could be the loss of a loved one. It may just be the weight and guilt of former sin. Whatever that is, you're trying to put on a good face. You're here. How you doing? I'm doing okay. But like you're feeling it. My prayer for you is that today, God would just powerfully remind you that he sees you, that he's a God of mercy, and that his mercies are new every morning. So let's pray as we get started. Father, so grateful to be able to be here gathered today to worship you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we live in a place where we can open the word up freely. We don't have fear of somebody busting in the doors and arresting everyone here. Lord, we're, let us not take that for granted. But Father, as we dig into your word today, Lord, I pray that you're going to do what only you can do, which is to move in our hearts, Father. Help us, Lord, to see and savor your glory today, Father. Comfort those today who need comforting. Convict those who need convicted, Lord. And in all of it, lift your name high. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to start by offering a definition for mercy, just so we can all get on the same page. And in offering a definition for mercy, I need to first by acknowledge that mercy is a central characteristic of who God is. So anything that we say about mercy, any definition that I offer about mercy, describes the character of God as well. So let's start with how God describes himself. And I want to go to Exodus. You don't need to turn there. We're going to put it on the screen. Exodus 34, verse 6. This is God describing himself to Moses, okay? God is going to pass, pass by Moses, and God's going to describe himself to Moses in this way. 
So the Lord passed before him, Moses. The Lord passed before Moses, and he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And this is how the Lord describes himself on multiple occasions throughout the scriptures. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Therefore, any meaning that we rightfully apply to merciful also is going to apply to that character of God. And so for that reason, I want to humbly offer you a definition of mercy, and I want to show you scripturally where I get that at. Because I don't want to, this is not something Mark dreamed up and like, this seems good. I want to show you where we got it from scripture. So I want to offer this as a definition. Mercy is compassion-driven action and forgiveness. Mercy is compassion-driven action and forgiveness. And let's, let me show you scripturally where I pull that from. And, and, and where we're going to go, first of all, is a very familiar parable. And I'm going to ask you to turn there with me. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. We find that in Luke chapter 10. And so if you're there in your Bible, go ahead and turn to the right a little ways to the Gospel of Luke. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're going to go to chapter 10. And as you're getting there, um, I just want to acknowledge, we don't typically do this here. Uh, typically, if you're familiar with our preaching here at Redeemer, we focus on a text. We stay in that text. We don't jump around a whole lot. I'm not going to jump around a lot today, but the reality is, as we unpack these Beatitudes, I want to, we want to look scripturally to help us understand. We want to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. And so as we talk about where did I get this definition of mercy and how do we better understand mercy, I want to show this in some of the teaching. And I think it's important that even though it's a very familiar parable, I want to all have our eyes on it together as we walk through it. And I'm going to walk through it relatively quickly, but I'm going to highlight a couple of key points because my point here is not to exposit this whole parable, but to pull out a couple of key points that help us today. So we're in Luke chapter 10, and uh, we start at verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So this is, he's putting Jesus to the test, okay? Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, Jesus said to the lawyer, what is written in the law and how do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, and instead of giving him a definition of what a neighbor is, he tells him a story, a parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road. Jesus very intentionally says a priest, a religious leader. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Again, very intentional. He didn't miss him. He saw him, and he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, again, those who served in the temple, a Levite, when he came by, he saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, oh, hated, hated by the Jews. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So the Samaritan sees him and has this compassion, this pity for this man, but it doesn't stop there. He went, he went to him. And he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And that's the end of the parable. And then Jesus looks at the lawyer and says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? 
He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You see, the lawyer answered him, he who showed him mercy. You see, the the Samaritan in the story saw him. He had compassion on him, but he didn't stop there. He chose to get personally involved in helping to relieve this person's suffering. And in helping, the, the Samaritan got his hands dirty and he got them bloody He took time out of his schedule. He sacrificed whatever he was doing, whatever he had going on. He sacrificed that. He took money out of his own pocket. He probably took a hit on his reputation in helping this man. So we see in this parable this idea of mercy being compassion-driven action. In this case, it manifests itself in meeting the needs of others. So as we look at this this parable, this is mercy is compassion-driven action while meeting the needs of others. Now, there's another way that we show mercy through compassion-driven action, and interestingly, it's a form of non-action. So let me just say, let me just put it on the screen and explain what I mean there. So sometimes we show mercy to others when we decide not to retaliate or not to get even or not to make somebody pay when we've been wronged. So it is an action, so we've decided not to take an action, but it's a form of mercy. And I just want to show you scripturally, there's plenty of places in scripture we could go to support that, but I want to show you what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Paul says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, when we... Uh, When we choose to overlook an offense, when we choose not to retaliate, that's a form of mercy. So mercy is compassion-driven action, but I also said it's forgiveness. And so forgiveness can also be an action, right? Like I could have just put another sub-bullet point under there, forgiveness. The reason I wanted to highlight forgiveness for us is sometimes, or oftentimes, we use mercy and compassion interchangeably. Like, we just think of them together, and they are together, but mercy is broader than forgiveness. Forgiveness is a very specific type of mercy. It's a very significant type of mercy. It's a very deep and difficult and important type of mercy. I want to unpack that a little bit for us here today to talk about why I've added that to the definition. And so I want to do that by referencing another parable. I'm not going to have you turn there. The reference is on the screen. I just want to talk about this parable and pull out a couple of key points and there is, a, there is a verse, there's a couple of verses I'll put on the screen. But this is the parable that we're going to talk about, is the parable of the unforgiving servant. And it's found in Matthew 18, so there's your reference for you if you want to look that up later. But let me just tell you what happens in this parable. In this parable, Jesus is teaching about forgiveness. So Peter has been asking Jesus, like, how many times do I need to forgive? And so Jesus gives him a big number, but then he says, let me tell you a story about that. And so he tells the story. He said there was a man who gets called in front of a king because he owes them this huge debt. It's a monetary debt, and when they give the amount of the debt, it's like more than he could ever pay. So his, he's in total debt, and the king's saying, sell this man and his family to help pay part of this debt. And so the guy, the guy pleads to the king, please have mercy on me. Give me more time, and I'll pay this. Jesus says in this parable, and out of pity or compassion for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. So the king not only releases him to give him more time, he's like, I'm just going to forgive the debt. It's wiped clean. Like, that's great news. And so the guy goes out, 
into the street, and what do you think happens? He sees somebody else that owes him money. Oh, this guy owes me money. And he goes up to him. How would we expect him to respond after what just happened to him? Well, he goes up to him, and he starts choking him. You pay me what you owe me. And the guy pleads with him, give me more time, give me more time. I can't pay you right now. Please give me more time. And the guy says, no. And he has him thrown in prison because he can't pay the debt. So the king, of course, hears what's happened because others tell him what happened. And he calls the man back in. And here's the verses on the screen. It says, the master, the king, summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not, have you had, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So in this parable, Jesus is telling mercy is tied to forgiveness. This is a teaching of forgiveness. So we show mercy to others through compassion-driven action and forgiveness. Now, before we go into the blessing that comes for those who display a heart of mercy, I want to talk just a minute and acknowledge that mercy is costly. Like, mercy will cost you. Like, if you decide to get involved in the life of another person to help relieve their suffering, it's going to cost you. It may cost you financially. It's going to be time-consuming. It could be messy. It could be physically and emotionally painful. It may hurt your reputation. And forgiveness, I'm telling you, sometimes we think, oh, yeah, we just need to be... Forgiveness is costly. It is always costly. Forgiveness is costly from a financial standpoint. If somebody owes you money and you're like, okay, yeah, it's all right. You know, you don't need to pay that back. Don't worry about that. We think about that. Or maybe somebody borrows something that, that you own and they break it and they say, I'll replace it. And you're like, no, don't worry about it. It was old. I need a new one anyway. I'll take care of it. That's great, but you still have to pay for that. It's going to be costly financially. But even if there's nothing involved monetarily, when we forgive someone, we are committing to not hold that thing over them anymore, to no longer bring it up, to no longer kind of make that a part of the relationship. And when we do that, when we truly forgive, when we truly give that up, there's a sense of loss in that, a sense of loss of, I have something coming to me that I didn't get. Forgiveness is always costly. So you wonder, why would anybody be merciful? It's costly, it's messy, um, it can be painful, and quite honestly, it's just not in, our, it's not in our nature to do it. And yet, Jesus says those who are merciful are blessed. And we've said before, these pronouncements, these, these beatitudes are pronouncements of those who are blessed along with a promise as to why they're blessed. So it's to this promise that we now turn. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for, and here comes the blessing, they shall receive mercy. That sounds good, doesn't it? For some of you here today, that sounds really good. You're just in need of some mercy. So let's talk about what Jesus means when he says, they shall receive mercy. First of all, this is not a promise that applies to person-to-person interactions. Okay? This is not saying, if I'm just good to everybody, everybody's going to be good to me. If I can just show people more mercy, people are going to show mercy to me. That's not the intent. This is not a people-to-people Act, uh, this is not a people-to-people thing. And, and the reason I say that is, first of all, the world just doesn't work that way. You don't need me to convince you of that. That's not how our world works. 
The other thing I would say is throughout these Beatitudes, we've seen the promised blessing is always a kingdom-related promise. And this beatitude is no exception. This is a kingdom-related promise. And so the promise here is that the merciful will be blessed because they will receive mercy from God. And we've already seen that, that then we've made the case that mercy is central to the character of God. God describes himself again and again, a God merciful and gracious. So how does God show us mercy? How does God show us mercy? Well, we've defined mercy as compassion-driven action and forgiveness. God's supreme act of mercy is what he did for us at the cross of Christ. See, God saw our condition. He looked at us and he saw us broken. He saw us hurting, burdened, separated from him by our sin. So he decided to get his hands dirty and his hands bloody. He decided to pay the ultimate cost to heal us and to restore us, to pay a debt that we could never pay because it was so huge. Let's look at the way the Apostle Paul talks about this. There's so many scriptures we could go to. I want to go to Paul's letter to Titus, and we find this in Titus chapter 3. Paul says this, Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish. He's talking about himself, and he's talking about all of us. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's a picture of us separated from Christ. Do you see the desperate neediness there? It's like we're that person left along the side of the road, beaten and bloodied. We need somebody to intervene on our behalf. We need God to intervene on our behalf. So enter God's mercy. Paul goes on to say in the very next verse, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of anything that we've did, done, not because of any work that we've done or earned, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That phrase, justified by his grace, it means we have been forgiven, we have been made righteous, we have been declared innocent before the Lord, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his mercy, because of what he did for us at the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, if it was anything that we did to earn it, it wouldn't be mercy. We don't deserve it. We don't have it coming to us. God is merciful and gracious. You see, he compassionately got personally involved in our lives. He took action to forgive us and heal us, and it cost him dearly. Forgiveness is always costly. It cost him dearly. It cost him the, the death of his son on the cross. He paid the just penalty for our sin on our behalf, in our place. That's, praise the Lord for his mercy, all right? And so for some of you who are here today that aren't Christians, that's the good news that we refer to as the gospel. The gospel is just a word that means good news. And it's good news because um, all of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's standards. And like all of us have fallen short of our own standards. Like we know the things that we do, we often regret. I can't believe I did that again. But when we don't live up to God's standards, God calls that sin, and he says to us, the penalty for sin is eternal separation from him in hell. 
But God, in his great mercy, he decided to get his hands dirty and bloody. He went to a cross, and he died the death that we deserved. So he's forgiven that debt that we could never pay, and he paid that debt with his own life. And we don't work for it. We don't earn it. We don't clean ourselves up to look better. We just receive it by faith. And so if God has revealed himself to you today, if God has pressed into you that he is a God of mercy, I would encourage you, like, don't wait any longer to call out to him to save you. And, and that's simply a matter of praying to him. Like, you can pray for him right here, right now. And you just pray, Lord, like, I've fallen short. I know. I'm tired of doing this on my own. I can't do it. I know I've fallen short of your standards. I'm tired of this. This is, I need you. I need you to save me. I need your mercy. And I don't know, I'm just going to put my faith in Christ. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. Like, pray that today. You can come up here after the service, and we can talk to you about that. But I would encourage you, don't delay. If God's pressing in, don't delay to do that. Because he stands ready. He is a God of mercy. He stands ready not to condemn you, but to forgive you. He's a God. He's merciful and gracious. He is ready to receive you. Now, this blessing, this blessing that they shall receive mercy. Is this a now blessing or a future blessing? This is what we ask throughout these Beatitudes. Are these blessings now or in the future? Well, it's both. And so it's definitely a future blessing because the Bible's clear. All of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our deeds done while in the body. Every single one of us. And on that day, we're going to need God's mercy. But praise be to God, the Bible is very clear that those, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've already been declared righteous. And when you stand before the Lord on that day, the mercy that's going to be shown to you is going to be due to what Christ did for you on the cross. But it's also a now blessing. It's a future blessing and it's a now blessing. So, I want to look at a, some, some words on the screen um, from Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, this is one of my favorite promises, one of my favorite things in the Bible to be reminded of. And so let's look at these words. They're going to be familiar to many of you. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Man, those are, those are beautiful words. Like, we love to read those words. But what we need to remember is those words are written in the middle of a lament. The author of that, of those words, is in a deep, dark place. Life is not good. If you want this week, I would encourage you, go read all of Lamentations chapter 3 and see the depth of, of despair this person is in as he's writing this lament. In the middle of this lament, he declares, Lord, your mercies never come to an end, and they're new every morning great is your faithfulness. Every single day, his mercies are new for us. And every single day, he's pouring out his mercies on us in ways, thousands of ways that we may never even recognize. The breath we have in our lungs, the, the just moving about each day, the food he provides for us, the interactions we have for others, there's thousands of things that his mercies to show up for us every day because he's compassionately acting on our behalf. And then look at these words from David that he wrote in the 23rd Psalm. So David, Psalm 23, a lot of us know it, but he ends the psalm this way. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Love that. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's a now blessing. 
It's a now thing. So for some of you that are here this morning, that's what you needed to hear. You just needed to be reminded that God sees you. And that he's a God of mercy. That his mercies are new every morning. And that his goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. God just needed to remind you of that today. And so we've defined mercy. We've talked about this, this blessing that they shall receive mercy. And we're, we celebrate that his mercies are new every day. So now, it leads us to this critical question. Am I merciful? Am I merciful? Am I attuned to the needs of others such that when I see somebody hurting, that I, I lean into helping them and getting involved and helping to relieve their suffering? Am I quick to forgive when somebody seeks it? Do I tend to overlook an offense, or is my propensity to want to get even and retaliate? What are my interactions characterized by with my spouse or my kids or my coworkers? Yeah. Would they describe me as merciful as they reflect on my words and my actions? And we should ask this question. It's an important question. Am I merciful? Because we want the blessing, right? We want the blessing. So uh, if merciful receive God's mercy, I better make sure I'm merciful. Okay. Here's where we have to be super careful on how we interpret this beatitude because we can interpret it wrongly. And this is the way we can interpret it wrongly. We can interpret this beatitude, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. We can interpret it as a transactional proposition. If I just show mercy to other people, then God's gonna show mercy to me. If I'm merciful to that person, then God's obligated to show mercy to me. And that would be the wrong interpretation. That is incorrect. And the reason I say that is that if that were the case, if it was dependent upon us receiving God's mercy, showing mercy to others, we're doomed, all right? If we honestly assess ourselves, if it's up to us consistently showing mercy to others, that ain't gonna work. But more importantly, it flies in the face of the gospel of grace that we just talked about. We just read these words that Paul said, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. You see, God pours mercy out on, out on us. It's undeserved, it's unearned. So that can't, it can't be a transactional proposition. So this beatitude is properly understood as this. Those who have received the mercy of God will in turn show mercy to others. Or let me put it another way. Mercy flows naturally from a heart transformed by God's mercy. Mercy flows naturally from a heart transformed by God's mercy. Think back to the, the parable of the unforgiving debtor. When he goes out in the street, and so I didn't finish the parable. The end of the parable, the king, when he gets brought back in front of the king, king says, I, I've, I've removed that forgiveness. You're going to prison. And you can interpret that and go, oh, I gotta show forgiveness to other people. I gotta show mercy or God's not gonna do that to me. The right, the right translation of that right understanding is that that man did not understand what had happened to him. He did not understand the forgiveness and the mercy that had been shown to him. Therefore, he was unable to show that mercy to somebody else. If he had truly been transformed by that mercy, he would have naturally shown mercy to another person. So a heart of mercy, mercy is gonna flow naturally from a heart of mercy that's been transformed by God's mercy. So this question, am I merciful, is important to us. Not because I wanna do everything I can to receive God's mercy, but that question's important because if it's, an, it's an assessment of whether or not I've actually been transformed by God's mercy or not. 
And if I have, how am I doing in my walk with the Lord? Am I displaying this fruit? Now remember, these Beatitudes represent spirit birth character traits of a follower of Jesus. That gives this question, am I merciful, a lot more weight. So if you're a follower of Jesus and this is convicting you a little bit and challenging you a little bit, then that's good. That's been part of my prayer this week. So, as followers of Jesus, how do we go about cultivating a heart of mercy? Well, to begin with, you cannot do it. And we've said that throughout these Beatitudes, you can't. This is not a try harder thing. This is not a go out and go, I'm gonna be merciful. This is given to us by God, okay? God cultivates in us a heart of mercy as we, as we receive and are transformed by his mercy toward us. And I love that word cultivate. He cultivates us. It's like an agricultural term where like you cultivate the soil. You're getting ready to plant something. You're cultivating that soil. You're digging it. You're treating it. You're getting ready to put the seeds in there. You're caring for it so that the roots are strong and so the plant grows strong and so the fruit that it bears is, is healthy. And so God cultivates in us in this way. So as we've been saying throughout, these Beatitudes don't each stand on their own. They flow together. One builds on another. And as we seek to become people known for our mercy, we have to start by preparing our hearts, the soil of our hearts, so those roots can be firmly established so that the fruit of mercy will be displayed in our lives. We start by being poor in spirit. We understand our complete spiritual bankruptcy, that we have no righteousness in and of ourselves. When we understand the depth of our sin and brokenness, that leads us to mourning over that sin and the impact it's had on our lives and on others' lives. At that point, that causes us to humbly submit to the Lord, to humbly submit to God and to his word and to his people. That's the essence of meekness. And meekness leads us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, not a righteousness in and of ourselves, not a self-righteousness, but a true righteousness from the Lord that comes through Jesus Christ. And only then, when we've come to the end of ourselves, when we've submitted ourselves to the Lord for forgiveness and restoration, having been thus transformed by God's mercy and forgiveness, only then will mercy and forgiveness begin to flow from us. You see, to be meek is to understand that I'm a sinner in need of mercy. And to be merciful is to understand that those around me are sinners as well, also in need of mercy, to lead me to respond to them with a compassion-driven action and forgiveness. See, mercy flows naturally from a heart that has been transformed by God's mercy. So as we bring this to a close, I'm gonna invite you to stand with me, please. And you know, as you're standing, let's just acknowledge the world we live in today is, is short on mercy. All right? There's not a lot of mercy out there. And so just look to social media, like a social media characterized by mercy. How about our political scene today? Not a lot of mercy. If you're working in corporate America, I spent 30 years in corporate America. Mercy's not going to get you to the top. Not a lot of mercy. Even how do people respond to one another today when they're wronged violently so often? Where's the mercy? See, our world doesn't recognize, our world doesn't reward, it doesn't, our world doesn't, world doesn't celebrate mercy, but it's in desperate need of mercy. 
Can you imagine if Christians, if we as Christians would just live lives characterized by mercy? What an opportunity for us to be salt and light in the world today. But remember, we don't cultivate hearts of mercy in and of ourselves. God cultivates in us a heart of mercy as we receive and are transformed by his mercy. So we're gonna sing a song here to finish our time together. It's a familiar song. And the risk of singing familiar songs is we just sing those words, we know the words, and we just sing the words, and we're not thinking about them. I wanna encourage you, think about these words that we're gonna sing today, because what we're gonna sing today summarizes everything we've been talking about. It summarizes the gospel. We're gonna sing these words. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so grateful for your mercy. Father, thank you, Lord. Father, open our hearts to see and experience your mercy, Lord. For those of us who are followers of Christ, Lord, Help us just to submit to you, Lord. Allow you to do that root work in our lives, Father, so that you can grow in us this heart of mercy. We want to display that fruit for the world to see so that we can put you on display. And Lord, I pray for the person here who's just burdened today, that you would comfort them with a reminder that you are a God of mercy, and those mercies are new every morning. As we sing these words, Lord, may these just not be not just be words, but these may these be a worship, a worshipful response to who you are. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus.